Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to be sharing some of my best prompts for ChatGPT, the kind of prompts that you've probably seen nowhere else before, because I use ChatGPT a little bit differently than most people. Most people are kind of like a one-hit wonder where they just put one prompt, get the answer, and they're done. I like to use the iterative process of the chat to get very refined answers from the AI, and I'll show you exactly how you can do this in this episode. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm your host, Gail Breton. If you are new to the podcast, we are a podcast where we talk about online marketing, building niche and authority sites. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about using ChatGPT for SEO, affiliate marketing related tasks, etc. So if you're interested in this kind of topic, don't forget to hit subscribe. We're going to be covering these topics a lot more in the coming months. So really, you don't want to miss that. You can listen to this podcast on all the podcasting platforms. So wherever you're getting your podcast, look for the Authority Hacker podcast, or you can watch it on YouTube where we add a bunch of like screenshots, screen grabs, etc., to try to make it more interesting and show you more practical stuff, especially in this episode. We are going to be showing quite a few of these. So I would recommend you check it out there as well if you want to get more out of it. But if you're just listening to the audio, you can get all the notes and the screenshots on authorityhacker.com slash podcast. So you can go and get it later and you'll get everything. As is tradition in this show, I'm going to be first asking to Mark and not to ChatGPT how it's going. I think ChatGPT could answer this better than you, actually. As is tradition, Mark does not have an answer. However, Mark went to ChatGPT exactly. to ask for some answers, but it was down. Uh, it said <laughs> uh, it was too busy, so I couldn't get an answer. Yeah. So the world really is getting together in order to not provide an answer to that fabled question, how's it going? So, I think yeah. that's, uh, that's a sign. But yeah, it's true that uh, ChatGPT has been down like quite often. It's quite annoying. I'm actually, can't, I can't wait for the paid version. So that's like, finally, they can dedicate resources to people who pay resources to pay money and then you don't have to wait or something. It's like, it, it reminds me of whenever you go on a plane and they have free Wi-Fi, it's always terrible because everybody's Everyone's using on. it. But yeah. as soon as they charge $2 for it, then no one wants to do that. And so it's actually, you know, usable. Yeah. So filtering by, by money, I think, I mean, it's going to happen. They've already been doing like um Paul on Twitter, I've actually shared an early Google form to open AI to like be one of the first paid users or something. I've been using it quite a bit. I use it for a lot of like small things and we're going to be showing you that basically right now. Let's just jump into this. So we're, I'm, we're going to do the first part of this podcast where I'm going to show you a bunch of prompts that I've been using, how I use it. And I think it's going to be a little bit different from what you may have seen from other places because I like to use ChatGPT iteratively. So the way that a lot of people are using AI is they treat it as like a, a one-hit wonder where you ask one short thing and then you just get an article or get whatever, and people get amazed by that. But you could do this with GPT-3 before. It was a little bit less good at writing. It, not, uh, it wasn't as good, but the real revolution of this is that you can have iterative and implement like implementations of improving the data they give you through the chat system, you know, because you're like, oh, I, I like what you gave me, but please change this a bit, etc. And that, in my opinion, is the real value of this new format and how good it is. Obviously, it's not perfect. If you go in the technicality of that, basically, you get 4,000 tokens per query. A token, to give you a really rough idea, is about three to four characters generated something like this. But the thing is that you use tokens both for your prompt, so what you input in, the, in it that it needs to analyze, and the result. So you, you have a credit of 4,000 tokens for both. So if you put a long prompt, then you can get a short answer. If you put a short prompt, you can get a long answer. You get the idea. So it's not perfect, 
because I, I really feel like using one of the first computers ever in the world because like I feel like I, I've run out of memory because I want to give like big, big data for it to analyze and things like that. And I can't because it just can't read the whole thing and take all of it into context to give it sensor, for example. Is that something that's likely to be solved as soon as they start charging for it? They'll just yes. let you go as much as you uh, want? I mean, yes and no, because the paid API for OpenAI, the GPT-3 one, is also limited to around this. And that's actually why I get the limit because ChatGPT would not tell you that, but it works the same way, like behind the scenes. But it's just a computing problem. The problem that I think there is, is that I don't think it scales linearly the difficulty. I think it scales exponentially because it's like there's, you need to put in context every single world to every other world in there. So the more worlds you give, yeah, it's exponentially harder. So like while a query that uses 500 tokens, like cost, I mean, well, a small query costs you maybe like $0.1. Like a query that's five times longer might cost you a hundred times more because of the amount of calculations that are needed for this. So it's like, my question is like, how much is that going to cost if they increase the limits and how much could you be ending up spending in AI if you were feeding it like a huge data set? Again, I don't want to go too deep into this, but you can actually train your own model with it, with the API. But then it's, it's pretty large scale. You need to feed it at least 200 pieces. So most people would not do that. Anyway, all of this to say. <laughs> All of this to say that uh, the, the magic of this is the iteration. So let's just jump into the first prompt. I'm going to go uh, to an example. And the first idea was like, okay, how do I brainstorm long-term content ideas? Let's say I am the content manager or like I'm running a site in a niche that I don't know very well. And so I want to write about topics that are like maybe less prominent in Ahrefs keyword tools or whatever. Like, and I took the example of Paintball in the screenshots that you will see. I run a website about Paintball. What are some sub-niches I should be tackling with my content? Give me the results as a table with sub-niche and a number between one and 100 to indicate the sub-niche popularity. So then I was like, okay, like tell me how is this popular and give me some broad categories that I should be tackling on my site first. And again, that's not my keywords, but that's the first iteration because what I do as well is I provide context to the AI with its own answer. That's pretty much what I'm doing. Do you have any idea as to how it actually is determining the popularity level? What's it, what's it might it be using for that? frequency of encountering the terms in related documents it has in its database, for example, something like that. Um, or it just makes it up. That's quite possible as well. <laughs> because AI is pretty notorious for just making stuff up. If you look at the answer, it says, uh, here's a table with sub-niches related to paintball, estimated popularity level of us to 1 100. And then, you know, some examples are tournament and competitive play, popularity level 80, equipment reviews and recommendation, popularity 75, tips and strategies for beginners, popularity 70, etc., etc. right? It keeps going through this. But it says at the end, please note these popularity levels are an estimation. It can vary based on the location, target audience of your website. It's basically a disclaimer from ChatGPT telling you, I'm, I'm not really sure yet. <laughs> um, but still, it's interesting. I mean, it's still good as a prompt if you don't know all these kind of different corners of the paintball space, then it's going to give you something to go on at least. Exactly. So that's exactly, that's all I wanted for this prompt, right? I, I didn't want an idea for content. I want, and then I, what I did is like the next prompt is I said, expand this list as much as you can. I keep going up until like very, very niche topics, paintball for military and law enforcement training or like 
paintball uh, photography and videography or paintball rules and regulations, like the very, very low topics. But still, like, it starts giving me ideas of like where I can dig, like, oh, really? They're using paintballs in the military to train. Which makes sense, actually. Like, it makes a lot of sense because you can see where you shot people. So you can analyze how good of a shooter they were. And then you can actually, like, teach people better to be better at using guns, basically, without any risk. So that was interesting. And that was just my first prompt. Then I was like, okay, take the sub-niche types of paintball games, which is one of them that it gave me, and brainstorm a list of articles based on popular search terms and long-term variations that are likely to be easy to rank on Google. This is going to try its best guess. It's as if I was asking you without Ahrefs. Just get an idea. Propose the results as a table with a column for the proposed article title, another one for the target keyword, and a third one for popularity level for the keyword between 1 and 100. Again, same thing. So then it came up with like 10 most popular paintball games and then target keyword popular paintball games. Beginner's guide to different types of paintball games, types of paintball games. I would agree that it's probably the same keyword if I was doing SEO. But then it got interesting one. Scenario versus speedball, understanding the difference. And I was like, I don't know what is scenario or speedball paintball. Like that made me think about this. The rise of Woods Bowl, what makes it unique? What is Woods Bowl? I have no idea, even though we've been talking about paintball all the time. MacFed paintball, a growing trend. What is MacFed paintball? I have no idea. <laughs> the evolution. So you get the idea. Like it, it gave me a bunch of types of games that I had no idea about that then started essentially giving me seed keyword ideas. It's like, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I could be digging into that. After that, I just, I just did another prompt that says update this table to include as many types of paintball games known as possible. And that the result, the reason I did that is because I was like, oh, there's really a lot of things here of like types of paintball games that, and actually if you Google it, it's not, it's not all listed in a nice way. Like it seems like people kind of like preach their own church more than cover everything. So it's like, this was a nice summary and I got a bunch. I got like hyperball paintball, pump paintball, meal scene paintball, stock class paintball, etc. Like a lot of stuff basically. So that was pretty interesting. And then Basically, I started just checking these keywords on Google and I was like, okay, what is speedball paintball? And then literally like the number two result for speedball paintball, which is a search volume 900, was a DR8 insight that gets 176 search traffic according to Ahrefs, which is pretty good. Like usually you get quite a bit more for these long tail keywords. So that gave me like a keyword I would never have come up with. Or Woodsball paintball, for example, was a DR6 rank. There was a DR6 ranking with 95 search traffic. So this gave me a bunch of ideas that not only would help me be seen as a better site on paintball, because if I don't know the niche, it's like I would never think about these topics. So like you could argue topical authority, all that stuff, but also it gave me a bunch of like long tail ideas that would not necessarily have come up very easily if I put them in Ahrefs, if I just put paintballs in Ahrefs. So that's kind of like my first use for it. I like to like brainstorm. It's my brainstorm partner. You've described this as brainstorming long tail content ideas, but it's actually much more than that. It's like your seed keyword research in a way. Almost. Yeah. It's like, well, you're looking for a starting point. Exactly. Yeah. It's quite good for that. And I think there was no keyword tool that would do that very well before. I think this does it better. And so like, I think you can come up with fresh content ideas for undercover topics quite easily here. We're using it for that, for sure. I have another example of that actually I have, but I did it differently. So it's going to be a different one. So the first thing I went for horse riding, because you know, when we said niches we, for 2023, we said horse riding was a good one. So I started with like, give me technical terms related to horse riding. It gave me a bunch of, I've done horse riding when I was a kid, but I don't know them in English actually. So that was interesting. So it gave me a bunch of stuff, you know, like gallop, trot, walk, riddle, beat, crop, gate. Canter is like the real long one, I think. Dressage, throw jumping, eventing, equitation, western riding, barrel racing, pole bending. I have no idea what these are, but apparently they're important. 
And then uh, basically based on that, I just started putting dressage in Ahrefs. I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting subcategory of uh, horse riding. And it's not necessarily prominent when you put horse riding in Ahrefs, right? And again, I found a bunch of like super easy keywords based on this. So like how dressage horse is trained, for example, the number one site was the R46 site. The second site was the R25. The third site was the R30. The fourth site was the R28. Uh, these are like pretty low and they get decent traffic. So I was like, yep, this is pretty good. Another keyword I found from this is how much does dressage horse cost? There's the DR7 ranking number one, there's a DR3 on the page, etc. And they will get decent traffic for long tail, basically. And how to measure a dressage shadow. So it's like, you see how I took ChatGPT, I got ideas, and then I went back to the traditional SEO tools to verify the data. And the problem that we see with a lot of people using ChatGPT is they get really excited by it. And then we'll ask ChatGPT to like come up with the final keyword. But the problem is ChatGPT does not have live keyword data feeds like Ahrefs has or something like this. Straight on the on a set database that is never updated anymore. Like it's, it's, it was trained in 2021. And even though it might have some data for keywords, which I'm not sure it does, I think it just makes it up. And you see a lot of tutorials on like, oh, look, it just finds all the keywords for you and it just makes up the volume. <laughs> and I took some keywords that it gave me with volume and I compared them with the real data and it was completely off, basically. So you need to be a little bit careful, but like using it as a starting point, like to find the starting point for your keyword tools, that is a really, really good use. And you can do it through two different ways that I just showed you now, basically. So I would recommend to do that. And that, that's kind of the general theme with ChatGPT and AI in general. It's not going to do all of your work for you in a single press of a button, but it, you can use it as an assistant to, in many cases like this, get started with things or do small parts of the task, but you still kind of have to re retain overall I guess, editorial view of like what's going on and you're kind of like making sure that nothing dodgy slips through. That's the problem. It's like, because it answers, a lot of people get really excited by this and they're like, oh my God, it's going to replace all everything, all the jobs, etc. But when you actually start digging into the facts that it gives you, when you start digging into the numbers, if it gives you numbers, etc. Yeah, because the, the way it presents it, it sounds so yeah. confident about it. So you naturally want to believe it, right? Yeah, but I think people are being a bit fooled by this. And also people are playing the clickbait on YouTube, etc. I'm like, oh my God, it can do everything you can replay you can make thousands of dollars with this and it's like nah the companies who have you know commercial ai tools they're also yeah they're pushing you know, it, yeah. they know where the limits are but they're they're kind of letting people interpret their marketing in such a way that yes this is a one button does everything for you tool when it's not really if this is as good as your work your work's probably not very good let me just say that <laughs> like that's pretty much my opinion if you go and fact check if you go and read the numbers it's not so good but like conceptually like it understands language so well that for example like for keyword research is very interesting because it has that depth of understanding of like related keywords long tail technical stuff etc which a keyword tool is not good at surfacing for example and that's a really really interesting use and good keyword researchers will be using this to start brainstorming stuff but then they'll plug back into traditional seo keyword tools that are plugged into, you know, the Google API that gives them the actual search data, like a real world usage in live, not from three years ago or something like this. So even though the way these AIs work right now, even though even though if they had search volume built in, it's it, it's not updated. It's not quality data anymore. Like at the, and the more time passes, the worse it gets. So if you're, if you're using it six months from now, the, the, the test set is even older, etc. So I would not recommend. And let's jump on to the next one. The next one is on summarizing content. And this one was quite interesting, right? So I actually took 
I took the example of like me writing an article, but I'm out of my depth. It's like it was an article on like taurine in dog food. And it's like, I wanted to like quote veterinarian sources and like real research, etc. The problem is like, I don't know if you've ever been onto one of these veterinarian, on these uh, kind of like medical sites, etc. But it's unreadable. I have no idea what they're talking about, right? You need to be a vet <laughs> to understand what's yeah. going on. Like, no one the idea what, what, what it's about. So what I did is I actually pasted an entire, it, it was an excerpt of like a research on like the effect of taurine, the effect of like how much taurine there is in dog food based on how it's prepared. And so I pasted this whole thing that is unreadable for me. And then I basically said, it summarized it for me in plain English, basically. And I, I started chatting about the article because it remembers. So it makes the summary and you can ask questions about it. So for example, my first question was like, the study talk about the effects of taurine on dog house. The study does not specifically address effects of taurine on dog house. It focuses on taurine content in various animal feed ingredients and influence of cooking on taurine ingredients. And I was like, okay, what's the main factor that led to an increase in taurine in food, for example? And they were like, well, the main factor that increased that led to that was, let me read actually, the use of animal muscle tissue, particularly marine, which contains high taurine concentration. Plant products, on the other hand, contain unacceptable amounts of taurine. So basically, if you have more animal protein, it works better. And I was like, so is taurine concentration mostly a matter of protein source used in the food? It's like, yep, it depends on the taurine content of the protein source used in the food. Animal muscle tissue contain high taurine concentration, whereas plant products is a low detectable amount, therefore using animal sources. And so you see the idea. I'm basically getting my conclusion in plain English as if I was talking to a vet. My idea was like, okay, you know this. You understand this information. Now let me ask you, like when I go to the vet with my dog and I'm just asking questions. And you can do that. And so it's very, very interesting because... You can go much deeper into your quotes for like, put real science back into this, but real science that maybe was not reachable to you. It now can reach it, summarize it for you, and then actually make it so that you understand it. And then you can quote it, whether it makes sense in your content. And I think that's one of the rare cases where you find AI actually augmenting content in a positive way, in a sense that actually you'll be relying on more reliable facts because you use it to help you understand everything, basically. This is kind of why they called it ChatGPT, because you can interact with it and you don't just treat it, put an input, get one output, and then ask it another thing. It's it's like, it's a conversation. And almost. you see how like all my things are like not one prompt and then get the answer, but rather a process. And I think the real value, people who are going to be really good at this AI stuff, they're going to be building essentially, you know, paths that they take the AI to. Because again, as I said, you know, as the AI answers my questions, it also builds context for itself to answer the next questions. The way AI works is it reads everything that was above and then it just uses that. So it's like if I pasted the original article, we use the original article, we'll make a summary. Then I ask a question, it will use the original article and its summary and my previous questions. And you keep going basically until you run out of tokens. That's the problem, but you get the idea. And so one trick actually, when you run out, it quite often, you know, you, if I do a really long chat, it will run out of tokens. It will basically forget the beginning of the chat. So quite often, if I feel like this is going to happen, I ask it to summarize everything we talked about in one prompt so that it can go back to its summary to give its next answers, right? 25 bullet point summary of everything we've just talked about in the chat so far. And then I keep going with my questions because it can then keep using the key facts to actually give relevant answers. So it's like, it's it's a hack to extend your memory, which hopefully won't be needed if they increase the memory at some point. But as I said, it's not that simple. If it goes the wrong direction, you can correct it as well. You yeah, you go like, back. No, that's not what I mean. No, not even that. Do it's, this instead. You can do that, but it's even better. You know, there's an edit button for your prompt so you can go back up and rewrite it. And I think it's better to try to keep your discussion going always one way, because again, 
because of the token limits, if you start having back and forth fixing stuff, you will see some examples where I have this, but like if you're really clean about this and you want, you want the best quality information, you need to kind of go back and fix your prompt rather so that you have the information condensed in less words and it's more likely that it's going to use more context for your next census. So yeah, that's pretty much the better way. Sometimes you, you know you're going to finish before, so it's not that big of a deal, but sometimes it's, it's worth it. Let's jump on to the next one. So the next one, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. It's uh, outreaching for uh, link building. So shotgun has been a thing for a long time where a lot of people basically say send more or less the same message to a lot of people. I think now with AI, we can send customized messages at scale. <laughs> I think that's the next step. And I'm very surprised very few people have talked about this. But I'll give you an example of like a rather manual process, but you could imagine some other uses of this with APIs, et cetera, right? So I say, come up with angles for atoyhacker.com to guest post on epicgardening.com. I wanted to tease Kevin a little bit. So I it, it did that, actually. It did it surprisingly well. The ideas were good. Like, how to use SEO to drive traffic to your gardening blog. Your role, the role of content marketing uh, in building successful gardening business, how to use keyword research to identify profitable gardening niche to power backlinking. So it's like he understood at least that we were trying to cross gardening and online marketing. And the ideas are like, fair. The benefits of starting a gardening podcast, I don't know if it knows we both have a podcast as well, but if it does, it's pretty cool, actually. So I was like, okay, cool. Then include these ideas in a pitch email from Gail at Authority Hacker to Kevin at Epic Gardening. It did a pretty, I would say, pretty standard, a bit boring email. Like, hi, Kevin, my name is Gail Broughton, and I run Authority Hacker, a blog that teaches people how to build profitable online businesses. I'm reaching out to you today because I'm interested in writing guest posts for Epic Gardening blog. I've been a fan of your blog for a while now. I'm really impressed with the quality of content you produce. I believe that my experience and knowledge of online marketing combined with my passion for gardening make me uniquely qualified to write a guest post on your blog. Basically, the moment where you... Pretty cookie-cutter stuff. Yeah, I was like going to say, that's when I hit the spam button. It would <laughs> probably be something similar to that. Yeah. yeah, I have a few ideas. He gave the ideas and it's like, oh, I'm confident this guest post will be well-received by your audience and provide valuable insights. Yeah, that's when I like throw up in my mouth a little bit, you know, like when I receive. I mean, it's it's not a terrible no, message. It's just it's very generic. Yep, I agree. So I was like, I was like, replace like I was like, okay, this is generic. So I, I, my next prompt was like, replace the second paragraph with a personal story of how my apartment in, Bu in Budapest became a jungle because of Kevin's TikTok videos, right? And so like, it took that template and changed just the second paragraph and changed it to, I have to admit, I wasn't always into gardening, but I stumbled upon your TikTok videos. And before I knew it, my small apartment in Budapest was turning into a jungle. Your passion for gardening is contagious. And I've really enjoyed learning from you and trying out the new techniques in my own space. And then it kind of kept going. I was like, okay, now it's a little bit more interesting. It's still very boring. But the problem is like, I know Kevin very well. If I send him this email, he'd be like, bro, what the fuck? And so I was like, no, 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 no. Rewrite this in a more casual way. Kevin is a close friend. It went like, hey, Kev, what's up, man? It's Kev from Atari Hacker. I just wanted to reach out to see if you'd be interested in writing a guest post on your blog. I've been a fan of your content for a while. Then I did kind of like the TikTok videos. Anyway, here's a few ideas. Let me know if you're interested and we can discuss the details further. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to contribute to your report. Basically, now, the tone was a lot closer to what I would expect, but 
My problem is the ideas were not so good, right? The ideas you put in there was like how to use SEO to drive traffic to your gardening blog, the rule of content marketing in building successful gardening business, etc. This is okay, but like Kevin's audience, like what's the percentage of people who have a blog, you know? Not that many. So it's like, it's not, he's like, man, it's like, I can't post this. I was like, okay, that's okay. But change the content ideas to be about gardening for entrepreneurs rather than marketing for gardeners. And that's when I was like, that's why we tell like a junior marketing assistant or something in the company. And it changed the ideas to be so much better. It was like how to use gardening as a way to reduce stress and increase productivity as an entrepreneur. The benefits of incorporating gardening into your daily routine as a business owner. How to use gardening to network, to connect with other entrepreneurs. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> like, the role of gardening to promoting healthy work-life balance, etc. But the idea is this was, was key because together with then the story about TikTok and how I did gardening, then the, the pitch started making sense basically but you see how we went from like a boilerplate very boring email to something that's actually halfway decent to send to people and so like again iterations right you need to you need to keep iterating on this and i think i think if i was a link builder i would have a, i would always have a chat gpt tab open for this kind of emails actually and then feed it more data i really like it's just little things like how it it wrote your signature almost exactly as you write your I know. signature I was in, like, what in the real life. <laughs> and then when you asked it to be more casual, it, instead of saying best regards, it says so like cheers as the, the last last word. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's useful. Like you can save time here, which is quite good. Okay. For the more hardcore SEO people, like you know technical SEO people or on-page people here, another thing that it can do decently well, even though it might make some of this stuff up, so be a little bit careful is find search entities missing from your content. Essentially like subtopics and people and brands, things like that, that are mentioned in content that ranks very well for a keyword while you yourself are not ranking so well. It can help you identify these things quite quickly. So the first thing I did is I pasted a huge article in there. It was about American bully dog food or something. Basically it did a summary quickly, the, sometimes when you just paste content, it doesn't necessarily take the last line with your comment. So you, it's better to put your comment in the first line, actually. But basically, I was like, okay, make a list of knowledge graph entities in this article. And it just made me a list. It just made me a bullet list. So there was like Origin, American Journey, Peas, Carrots, Blueberries, Salmon Oil, Flaxseed, basically a bunch of topics that were talked about, probiotics, etc., etc. Then I pasted another article and I was like, what knowledge graphs? are missing from this article that were in a previous one. And so it found the knowledge graph entities in the last article I pasted. I just looked at the ones that were missing and gave me a list of things like omega-3 uh, fatty acids, sweet potatoes, probiotics, freeze-dried liver, et cetera, et cetera. So it can help you kind of like do this quick analysis of like, oh, you should probably be mentioning these topics because the number one result is ranking. That is ranking is also mentioning these topics. And so that is quite interesting as well. You make it analyze things for you. And that saves a lot of time. And I can save you some subscriptions. I'm pretty sure some tools are doing this, actually. So I guess it's like a, a poor man's uh, surfer SEO, maybe. Would you run it, though, in addition to surfer? Because this is this uh, likely to, to pull I, out different surfers better, right? Surfer is better because it goes and gets the rankings directly. It's more like it's light. And also, like, it has more memory. Like, now, again, now we might be running out of memory. It might not actually analyze the first part of the article because I ran out of credits of... Uh, of credits, for example. So that's the problem of tokens, not credits, sorry. So that's the problem. It's like, it's kind of good, but like if the article is more than like 3,000 words, then I think it's going to be complicated to actually make it work because the token limits, pretty much. So I would still use Surfer, but for like short content or doing things like that, yeah, it can help you analyze what's missing in your content 
in a quick way at least, and then you can dig deeper for these things basically. And you can look, like usually it gives me a list and then I would go back to the number one article and I kind of like try to understand in what context these things are mentioned and update my content. So yeah, it's still useful. Another thing that I like to use it for is to work on briefing content, not writing, briefing content. And so again, I went a little bit different in how I do this. So sure, it's cool to do content that ranks on Google, but I also like to make content that actually helps people <laughs> with what they're searching for. And so I went for like barrel racing because that was one of the keywords we find in a horse riding example. And so I started by, by with the first query of like, what are some questions a first time barrel racing rider may want to ask? It gave me 10 questions. Some of them are, what equipment do I need for barrel racing? How do I safely and effectively run a barrel racing pattern? I don't even know what a barrel racing pattern is, but when I checked it out, it actually is a thing. How can I learn and practice barrel racing techniques? How can I find local barrel racing events to participate in, et cetera, et cetera. So it found me a bunch of questions, which again, this is excellent context before you start briefing an article. Then after that, I was like, okay, what search entities and subtopics should I mention if I want to write a beginner's guide to barrel racing? Give me results in a table with the concept, a short description, and a score between 100 to indicate its popularity. It did that again. So it's like equipment, training, rules and regulation, patterns and techniques, safety, finding events, improvement, common mistakes. And again, you can see, if you read back the questions, you can see it used that as context. It helped it. And I was like, okay, now write me a very detailed markup article outline with H2s, H3s, and bullet points explaining the precise points to make for the article Beginner's Guide to Barrel Racing. Make sure to include very specific information only a seasoned barrel racer would know and all the entities and subtopics mentioned above. So I was like, okay, take all the stuff we did before and now make an article outline. So again, now it has context. And it did pretty well. It didn't do H2, H3s that well. <laughs> if you look at it, uh, and that, for this, I would recommend you go check the notes on notoryhacker.com slash podcast, but I'll try to describe it as best as possible. But basically did an introduction. It's like, uh, introduced the topic, mentioned the purpose of the guide, da, da, da. Then first section was equipment, outline is such equipment and it was like saddles, bridles, and protective gear. And uh, each one, there is a bunch of bullet points. For example, for saddles, there is explained different types of saddle and the specific use for barrel racing, mentioned the importance of proper fit for both horse and rider, etc. So it's, it's okay. It's not like the most outlined details still. Like you could probably go a level deeper, but I've made it basically do the whole outline and I did the whole outline and it's still a pretty decent starting point. And then I would take it over and kind of like add my own stuff, do some research based on these things, etc. But it's decent to start. Like, would you use this as a starting point? Yeah. So, I mean, as I'm going to say, the use case of this is really if you're someone who has a team of writers and has just been giving them, here's a keyword, go write about it type thing. And maybe you haven't gotten that good performance from the, the results, then actually briefing your content, taking the time to do that will improve that. But obviously it takes a lot of time to make that briefing yourself. So I think this is a way to, if you're producing a lot of content, do that at scale while not spending too much time on it. And it's, again, you need to add to it. Like some stuff is very generic in the bullet points and you need to, even though I said like be a seasoned writer, etc. But wouldn't a good writer not just make that generic and like be able to at least work with that? It's like you're giving them step one and they have to the writer has to do steps to exactly. depend themselves. Instead of an empty but page, at least, they start it's a start. at least it's a start, yeah. Exactly. This is based on like questions and like uh, subtopics that are popular, etc. So it's kind of useful. But the problem is like a lot of people take this and they're like, okay, I'm done. I'm done learning. And it's like, no, you're not done. It's still missing a lot of stuff. You still need, like I would go and research each subsection a little bit more and like look for facts 
for quotes, for things like that. And then, then it's, it's a decent article. But you save the first hour and a half or something by uh, doing these few prompts. So that's very useful still. Let's talk about the next one, which I called fixing copy while retaining facts. So we all know that, and we've talked about this, that facts, it just makes it up quite often, right? And that's a problem. So I took actually a pretty poorly written section on a blog post on Authority Hacker that needs to be updated. <laughs> that is uh, the fastest WordPress team blog post. So I took a passage that says, why does team speed even matter? So it has like a bunch of stuff here. And what I did, and here it's going to be interesting because I'm introducing the idea of variables. So <laughs> if you code stuff, it's like you create variables or if you do an equation, right? An equation is just variable. It's like X plus Y, da, 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 X is this and Y is this, you know, and they replace. So you can do something similar when you write queries for AI and it allows you to be more, to write better instructions because I can write the instruction on one side with variables and I can define the variables after. So let me just show you the example. I took the poorly written section and I took a really good written section on the Ahrefs blog by Joshua Hardwick, which who I think is like a really good writer in our industry. And I said, rewrite passage one to read and feel like passage two while keeping the same information. Passage one, I pick our section. So like there's information in there, like, you know, like uh, if you pick the wrong team, you won't get good performances, et cetera, et cetera. And then passage two is just for the style. It's like, it's just like uh, it was about statistics in link building or something. So like I took this passage and then essentially what ChatGPT did is it took my first passage and rewrote it to feel like the second passage. But like I used these variables for that and say it was much better. The original one was like, I read the original one and I read the updated one. So the first one was like, why does team speed even matter? Some folks are so eager to get their site online that their choice of team often comes down to whatever is easier to use or whatever they can afford at that point of time, which is usually a free team. A free email address is fine, but using a free WordPress team can be a terrible idea. But a type of poor decision can lead to equally poor performance for the site. So that gives you an idea. These were like short sentences, a little bit too chatty, I feel like. And then the updated version was like, why is team speed important? Some people prioritize getting their site up and running quickly, leading to the section of a team based on ease of use or cost. So often results in a free team. However, using a free team can have negative consequences on the performances of your site. Basically, like you can see it's a little bit more strict in the way it's written. It's following the style, the, the editorial style of Ahrefs instead, for example. So I'm able to just update my content by looking at my competitors and using these variables. It can be useful to like re-edit stuff, basically. So I like it. The next one is actually quite similar. So it was, I put it like writing a section's first draft, but most importantly, to do it without the AI making stuff up. Because the problem is when you let AI just free write is it just makes stuff up. And just fact checking this takes as much time as just writing the content yourself. Therefore, it's not that valuable, even though people are so amazed by it because it reads nicely, you know? So my query was like, write a section about picking the right WordPress team that reason feels similar to passage example and uses facts as arguments. So passage samples is in quotes and that's my first variable and use facts that in quote as well as a variable as arguments. Feel free to shuffle the order of facts. I mentioned again my variables to make sure the article engages is more engaging and easy to read. I also said, make sure to break the long text in bullet points, short sentences, and other pattern breakers, which it didn't do, and you will see what. I define facts. I put facts, column, and I put many users pick WordPress team that on their looks rather than technically sound they are. 72% of websites use a team framework that is inefficient and prevents them from achieving core web vitals. John Mueller 
search relation team lead at Google came on record saying that avoid free, free WordPress teams. Basically, I made that up, by the way. Like, it's not true. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> There's many ways to change your site look. You don't need to rely on your team for it. The best WordPress teams are generate price cadence and Astra. It's often worth paying for a WordPress team and it can, the best deals can be had on Black Friday. So see, I feed the facts. I'm like, okay, this needs to be in there. And then sample, I gave again Joshua's uh, uh, section. I wrote an article that reads not exactly like Josh's stuff because it didn't break up very well in bullet points, etc. but feels a bit similar while retaining all the facts and not making any stuff up. So it says like, you know, when it comes to picking the right WordPress team, many users tend to focus on the look and of the team rather than how technically sound it is. This can lead to problems down the road, especially when it comes to achieving good core web vital scores. In fact, they're hoping 72 of websites use a theme framework that is inefficient and prevents them from achieving good scores. So you can see there is that. And after that, it quotes John Mueller and does all of this, basically. How much of this would you use as is and how much would need to be kind of edited or, so, or, or, or tweaked because it's not bad it's not bad uh, it's good but if you saw that on some blogs you'd be like okay you know it's, it's good but where the href section is better this sample it's broken down you see the sentence length and uh, bullet points vary more and here it was very similar it was like five lines three lines three lines four lines like it's just like a bit monotonous in the way it's written so, for example, there is the section where it says the best WordPress teams are general press cadence and Astra. I would put a bullet list here or something like I would start editing this a bit and kind of like break it down, like make it a bit more engaging. Like I think it still lacks a little bit of engagement. Maybe with a bit different prompts, I would get something like that. But but like you see how much input I put, like my prompt is longer than the output. And obviously it's longer because there's a copy pasted sample as well. But like it's not I didn't just say write an article on what is the best WordPress team. I fed it all the facts and I fed it everything. And then, yeah, like the more you effort you put in your prompt, the less effort you need to put in editing, obviously. And that's what people don't get. They just want to put very short prompts. And that's why you get something that's that's not too good. Personally, I'm actually studying a lot like the, the mid-journey stuff, like it's the image AI, because they're like, people are so much more organized than uh, people who use a chat GPT, to be honest. And so the concepts are very similar. Except it's even more technical on mid-journey, but it's, uh, yeah, the prompts are very important and they need to be very detailed. Very good prompt engineers, because that's the thing now. How, right, like very, very long prompts with lots and lots and lots of, of data to get an output that doesn't need to be worked on too much. I think that's a good point, because you kind of have to do that when you're creating a, an image from scratch, because exactly. there's not really any rules to follow. Whereas at least with written words, it knows that, okay, these are the words, these are the letters, these are what sentences are, these are what paragraphs are. So you're more likely to get something that, that follows that that framework, but you, you literally have no framework when you're starting with an image. Yeah, you can say like what lens the photo needs to be taken with, the style of the artist, you can say the technologies you use, like if you're using like ray tracing or whatever, like you can, you need to specify the level of details, you can put colors in there as well, like which colors should be and where, etc. Like, and so you need to be very precise if you want an output that, otherwise you just put like, a girl smelling a flower, it just like comes up with random shit. And it's not very good quite often. People imagine, I think there's the biggest misconception with AI is that people imagine they will need to know nothing. And that's not the case. You actually need to know more because the people who can feed the most, the best, more precise, most precise information to AI are the people who are going to get the best results and add value with their work. Whereas people who just write a very basic prompt, this has literally no value. Everyone can do this. 
So I wouldn't pay for that. But someone who can write very, very good prompts and get very good output of AI, I would pay for that. And so you need to have the background knowledge of what to ask. And if you don't have that, you're not going to do really quality work with this. I think you're going to go on base level. You're going to make a video on YouTube and wow people. People are wild about this at the beginning with like, oh, it's writing stuff, etc. But in real life, in real production, like now it's just defining what is the bottom level of content that's acceptable on the internet. Rather than but isn't that the case, just to push back on that, isn't that the case anyway if you're dealing with human designers or human writers? You still need to give them the correct prompts. I think people just typically struggle to articulate what's yeah, wrong it's or like how to make something more engaging. And when you're relying on humans who have that innate creativity, you kind of pass the buck to them and hope that they're good enough to do it. Whereas the AI doesn't really have that. So you have to be very specific and being forced to be very specific is, is leads a lot of people to realize that they actually don't know exactly what yeah, they want. And therefore, that's why they're not getting yeah, the, and, the quality of stuff. A lot need. of people don't even see that. And it's a big problem. And it's like, that's why I don't think AI is replacing anyone at this point. It's like, there's just going to be good people are using AI and bad people are using AI. The same way as like when Excel came out, like some people actually learned it and could do amazing things with it. And some other people, they just know how to add two numbers and then it's not very valuable, you know? So we're, we're a little bit in that situation here where there's massive productivity gains to be had, but you're going to have to learn the tool the same way you had to learn Excel if you wanted to learn it at the time. And it's a process. It's like getting your head and understanding how what you can expect from the AI. It takes a long time. And even I'm just still discovering it. I'm spending an hour a day in the evening just trying stuff. But I'm pretty happy. Like it's we're getting to a point where we're getting stuff that's like al almost ready for production, or you can use bits and pieces, but it's not replacing your job yet. And the fact that it's until it's connected to the internet, it's still gonna be extremely limited, especially with the memory limits we have now. Uh okay. And then the last one that I use it for all the time, and that's pretty basic, but I think people should use that to write what I call small copy. So that would be like title tags, meta tags, subject lines, social media posts, summaries of things, etc. All the little writing you need to do all the time. For this, it's like I use AI for everything now. So like I put an example here where I pasted my last blog post. And I also, uh, this example is interesting because you'll see how it doesn't do what you want sometimes. Because I said, write a meta description of maximum 155 characters for this article, write in a way that makes the user wants to click and maybe teases them a bit, space counts as character. I had to say that as well because otherwise uh, it, it gave me too long stuff. And so it did. And then if you look at the result at the end, it was about this CNET thing. It's way more than uh, 155 characters. Like Cinet, a large tech publication owned by Red Ventures, etc. So it does that when it doesn't actually catch your comment. What it did is actually it summarized it. It made a summary. And so I said, okay, focus more on the findings, make it 155 characters. And it still gave me something that wasn't 155 characters. It was 199 when I checked it. And eventually I just gave up. I was like, make it 25% shorter. And it just did, it did. Uncover if top medias are secretly using AI to generate content, learn about the AI versus human search traffic findings and its impact on online publishing. And it's a decent meta description. So like, sometimes it will not do exactly what you want. If you ask it to write a meta description, it doesn't know it should be this number of characters, for example, it doesn't really link the idea, etc. So you could legitimately ask the question, should I have just written the meta description instead of chatting with ChatGPT here, for example? And uh, it would have gone faster. But for subject lines in emails, for example, it, it's pretty good, actually. So like I'm, uh, I have like a swipe file of like subject lines that I collect from like various email lists I'm subscribed to, and then I can just paste them in. 
and be like, find me a subject line similar to what I pasted about this. This and, is and it does it. Quite this well, is going actually. to be really important: is to start building databases of good subject lines, good outreach emails, these things, in order to have a bunch of data in order to train this on in future. If you want to use it effectively. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you need, like, so we use Notion for that. Like I'm just bookmarking a million things in there. But then when I need work done, I just go and copy paste everything that I've curated over time. And again, the information you curate and feed into ChatGPT is good, or whatever AI you use is going to be the key to the quality of the output you get because you're setting your context and the quality of the... And that's why they're not connecting it to the internet, by the way, because if you were connecting it... Right now, the data ChatGPT has is has been human curated. Like some people have checked that it's not bullshit that it, it got in there. Therefore, its sensors are decent. But if you were connecting it live to the internet with a, a moderation system, it would pick up all sorts of crazy stuff and start giving crazy answers. And that's why... We have a huge problem right now of like, how do we mass moderate content for AI so that it doesn't go crazy? And that's, I think, a question that the folks at OpenAI, et cetera, are trying to answer. And I don't think it's going to be connected to the internet until we figure that out. And that's why, for example, Google doesn't have a chat GPT right now because it doesn't really does that curation. It just brings, does a little bit, but it's a real problem. So, and you can't replace Google with a database that's not updated live. That would be worse. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. But I mean, I have a lot more notes on like making your own prompts, etc. like being iterative. We talked about this, be descriptive, use variables. That is the important stuff. I just want to say a few things you should not use ChatGPT for. One, try to write full articles with a single prompt. Like a lot of people are doing this right now. It's not good content. And it's like for very basic things, maybe, but like for these very basic things, how long do you think it is until we just get the AA article directly in Google? Like for these so simple things that it can answer very reliably. It's not that useful. I think about, imagine if uh, all of a sudden everything was transformed into gold. Gold would be irrelevant. Nobody would want gold. And so, you know what I mean? Like, And so like it, it, would, it wouldn't matter that it was super valuable a day before. And so I don't think there's much value in stuff. Are, are you talking about a sort of like extended featured snippet where yeah. longer answers or longer results are just displayed there? There is a search engine. Let me actually check my notes. But there is a search engine called Neva that just released AI in search. And it's quite interesting. It basically makes an extended featured snippet. But what's interesting is as you hover over the words in the featured snippet, it will actually show you where it got the information from. And there's the link to the sources below. So it's kind of interesting. It's a first take on that. I mean, it doesn't mean search will look like this, but it's very unlikely it doesn't look like this at some point. Microsoft said Bing is going to yeah. uh, include this in a few months' time, right? Yeah, I mean, let's see when it's done. It's like it's possible they could push it back if they're not happy with it or something. They're one of the owners, investors. They're just they're owners, investing like ten billion. Big investors in yeah. ChatGPT. Yeah, they are. But like, it's like as I said, connecting AI to the internet poses a lot of challenges that I'm not sure they can solve by then. I could see it more in like Microsoft Word, in like all the Microsoft products as like as ChatGPT is right now, for example. Excel. You've been using it in Google Sheets, right? Yeah, to Google, write GPT three. Yeah. yeah, GPT three. Yeah. So like in these products, yeah, I can see it. Work in search. It's a it's a challenge if you want live information. I guess it will just be useful like very evergreen stuff that doesn't change, etc. And then yeah, sure you can use that. But yeah, so it's like it's exactly what's happening. It's like like a huge chunk of the world was just transformed to gold. Everyone's just running on this. Oh my god, so much gold! I'm just gonna get as much as I can. But really, gold is not really worth that much anymore <laughs> when there's so much of it. It's only worth something because of the rarity of it. And so like I don't think there's much value in doing this. You're probably just putting a bunch of content that's not gonna be worth very much in a while for your site. The second thing I would not do with ChatGPT is rely on any number of facts 
or stats that it gives you. It makes stuff up. It's funny, I was typing link building stats in it and it literally started just repeating the same stat with different numbers and making up the sources as well. Like I said, give me the source. It just makes up URLs and everything. So if you don't fact check and if you just post that on your site, especially with Google going after like EAT and actual trustable information, etc., you're just red flagging your site, I think, and it's dangerous. And also the third thing I wanted to say is please do not stop building your sites because you think AI is going to take over, it's all going to be over and uh, the websites and websites are not worth it anymore. For all the limitations I've just mentioned before, actual human edited content, someone who's, you can use AI as a tool, but fact checking it, making sure it's actual quality, adding experience to it, adding all of that. It's not going to be replaced by AI for a long time. That's the real gold. The gold is like, what can I produce that AI cannot? And if you can do that, then that's the gold that you should be holding on to. And the gold is in humans right now because AI is a dime a dozen at this point. And so, yeah, it sounds counterintuitive, but I would say AI content is just going to become a commodity like many other things, basically. Okay, that was kind of my final words of wisdom. I have a few resources I want to quote out. Aleda Solis made like a chat GPT for SEO blog post that's pretty good and there's a Chrome extension for ChatGPT for SEO called APRM for SEO and there's two videos that are really good that I liked as well which is actually you'll be surprised but I loved the video from Income School I think it was really good Ricky's take on it was a bit similar to mine but also a bit different but like uh, I agree with him a lot it's like uh, he basically says like it's not the end of like same thing as I said like human uh, touch will be still important etc and um, Matt Digity has a bunch of cool uses for ChatGPT as well on his video so check it out if you want and that's pretty much it any final question or or like words of wisdom or something more. Yeah, so to, just talking about that like initial hype, are we still in that everything's about to change or have people already started to be a bit more realistic about what's what's going on here? It almost reminds me a little bit of, remember a few years ago when everyone stopped working on their sites to become crypto investors and then... So crypto investor back, meaning I put know, my it, money and I just hit F5 to just watch it go up, right? Yeah, basically, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. I mean, AI will, is a disruptive technology. It will change the way we create content. We need to learn how to create content with it. You got a little bit of bits and pieces of that today, but there's no doubt it's going to keep evolving and we need more time to kind of like develop something a bit more solid and where we will, it's going to be including our training and we'll add that on Toyahacker for sure. We're not anti-AI. Google is not anti-AI. They said that they don't care how you make your content, just make it good. But think of AI content like the one press button as the lowest level of acceptable content today. And the lowest level of content just doesn't get that much traffic right now. It's just, you're going to have to find ways to build up on top of that, be better. And there's many ways to do that. And I'm not too worried. If anything, I'm actually quite excited to see a lot of competitors just steering away and doing shit content. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's finish it here. So thank you guys for listening. We have over 300 other episodes on the podcast. If you want to listen to them, go on otoyahacker.com slash podcast. You'll find all the episodes, the notes and everything. If you want to subscribe to our newsletter so you can get the podcast, the blog posts and anything else that we do, go on otoyahacker.com slash subscribe. We also have By the way, some of the sort of like first observations and first things you discovered about AI are actually released via that newsletter um, every every week or so. So you can often get kind of real uh, first access to to some of the new discoveries we're, we're making uh, if you subscribe there. Yep. And there's also a free training if you want to start entity site, niche site, etc. because Trust me, they're not dead even after AI and they still do find provide you actually add value to your content and you can get that training on autoyhackertraining.com. So in two weeks, I'll be doing an interview with Scarroof and we'll be mixing AI 
with EAT because EAT now, because I think these topics are very much intertwined, even though they don't sound like they're intertwined. I'll also make sure that these are not the same. This is not the same interview that he's done with other podcasts because I've seen him on other podcasts. So I'll make sure I'll ask him some stuff that's different and that builds up on what he said before. And also I'd like to include your questions in there. So drop us a question on the YouTube comments uh, if you want me to ask it to Karuf and I'll pick the best questions and I'll ask him as well as part of the podcast. So thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.